Welcome to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. The website, this show, and our newsletter all focus on making the science of advanced nutrition and greater overall health accessible to everyone. Buckle up for our latest episode to get ideas, tools, and practical knowledge you can use to improve your health and move towards your perfect version of ultimate wellness. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast shares interviews with nutrition experts, health researchers, and everyday people that have changed their lifestyle and nutrition to support greater health. You'll learn how to implement lasting change and create new habits that support greater wellness and a happier, healthier life. Please visit HealNourishGrowPodcast.com for full show notes and links to our guests. Carolina is a certified alcohol-free life coach who helps powerful women make alcohol insignificant in their lives. She's worked with thousands of clients through her online courses and coaching to change their drinking habits and unleash a new level of health, happiness, and potential to go after their biggest dreams. Her book, Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You with HarperCollins is out on bookshelves as of January 4th. She's the host of Euphoric the Podcast, founder of Euphoric Alcohol Free, and her work has been featured in the Huffington Post, Pop Sugar, Authority Magazine, Greatest, and Elite Daily. Caroline is passionate about helping you discover what really makes you happy outside of a beverage and design a life you love. She would love to hear from you at euphoricaf.com. Just a side note in talking with Carolina today, first I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and she's so well-spoken, but the thing I wanted to mention is, as you know, I often have a partner that I work with on this podcast and that is Dry Farm Wines. And that is one of the reasons I think Dry Farm Wines is actually so amazing. So if you still want to have alcohol in your life, at least you get a cleaner, lower alcohol, low toxicity version of that. But if you're giving it up completely, there's also tons of great alcohol-free mocktails that you can make. I have one recipe on the website. It's something that I've wanted to dedicate more time to there at some point um, to give you like all the keto mocktail recipes, Um, but also other options on the market for just Uh, alcohol-free tequila, alcohol-free bourbon. I had a friend that was recently um, doing some fertility stuff and quit drinking for a time because of that. And she found these alternative beverages to be really helpful. So anyway, I just wanted to, before we go into the interview with Carolina, I wanted to put some of that out there and just uh, let you know that, hey, whichever part of this you fall on, whether it's just reducing, whether it's going alcohol-free, there are still plenty of great options out there for you to explore and to learn more about and to use some of these alternatives to replace less healthy options. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview with Carolina. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Today, I am joined by Carolina, and I am not going to attempt her last name, I'll let her say it, Um, but she is a health and wellness coach, and as you heard in the bio, she works with people um, on some alcohol-related stuff, but we're just going to have a chat today and talk about her own personal health journey and sort of how she got into this work. So uh, welcome, Carolina. Can you just give everyone a little background about yourself in your own words, Um, just kind of what your health journey was like and why you started getting into this work. Absolutely, Cheryl. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. I'm super excited to be here today. 
and talking about a pretty vulnerable, weird topic in our society, and that's alcohol, because honestly, we don't talk about it very often. And we talk about it in very few instances. One is the time when we are planning on drinking. We're going to go to a happy hour with our friends, maybe a dinner party, a winery trip. It's all very lighthearted. And then we talk about alcohol very seriously. You know, when someone hits rock bottom and they have to go to AA and they're an alcoholic and they have to go to rehab. And it really leaves this huge gap for everyone in the middle to just become analytical and aware of their own alcohol habits without assigning it a label. And so that's basically where I found myself. I found myself in that middle ground. You know, I drank probably, you would say, like a lot when I was in college. I was partying. I had no boundaries around alcohol or my health, really. It was just a different time. But as I got older, by the time I got in my mid and late, my mid 20s and late 20s, I totally changed so many different things in my life. I considered myself a very healthy person. So Monday through Thursday, I ate very well. I worked out. I uh, had my green juice. I did my yoga. I meditated. And then every single weekend, I still drank. And it was almost as if it was this uh, Mr. Jekyll, Dr. Hyde behavior where I was so good during the week that I just couldn't wait to let loose on the weekend. And you know what I, what it looked like to me was pretty normal because everyone around me was doing the same thing. Everyone around me was having some drinks on Friday, going to sushi night, game night, dinner party, wedding, whatever. So it was really felt like the normal behavior around me, but I couldn't shake the feeling I felt every Monday morning. I woke up feeling literally unwell. I was depressed. I was super just apathetic, anxious, and just like, ugh. You know, all the healthy progress I made during the week was just washed away by the weekend. I felt like I was starting five steps backwards. And I woke up on these Monday mornings for years, you know, and I was always like, maybe I should take a break from alcohol. Maybe I would just feel a lot better. But it was always the social event on my calendar. It was always, you know, some kind of this, this thing that I thought I had to drink at, that I literally had no permission or excuse not to drink. And the only thing I've ever heard of people who changed their relationship with alcohol was that story of rock bottom. You know, they were hiding vodka in their closet or in their desk at work. And it was just really, really bad. And I was like, wait a minute, if I change my relationship with alcohol, will people start assuming that about me? And so I just kept staying stuck in this relationship for way longer than I knew I was happy in. And that's the thing that finally changed is I heard about dry January. And a few years ago, I think it's a lot more popular now. A few years ago, it's just kind of trickling into the U.S., and to me, it was a godsend. It was like, oh my gosh, I can take a break from alcohol and I don't have to explain it to anyone else. I don't have to like, <laughs> you know, have any reasons behind it or have people think a story about me that isn't true. Like I get to just do this privately and finally have an excuse to take a break from alcohol. It was like the permission that I needed that I never granted myself. So I took a break during that January and I slowly started to fall in love with the alcohol-free lifestyle. My sleep gets so much better. I start feeling so much more energy. I start feeling healthier. Every day I'm proud of myself too. You know, like there's there's nothing like that guilt or that shame you wake up when you feel like you've let yourself down versus waking up like, oh my God, yesterday's version of me actually looked out for me today. And it just started to feel so good. But then February comes along and I still don't believe that I can continue this non-drinking thing because again, only those people are sober. And so I have this mental block where I think, okay, normal adults drink. Therefore, if I want to be normal, I must drink. And so I went out for my first dinner with some friends and everyone was drinking and I just did it too. And so I had a few drinking occasions in that February, not even that much drinking necessarily per occasion, but the contrast was so evident for me. Like one or two drinks would completely ruin my sleep. You know, I, I didn't sleep as well. I woke up feeling the next day lethargic. 
Um, I noticed that a few drinks would even lower my mood. So I was feeling really happy during dry January. My mood was elevated. I was feeling wonder, awe, and gratitude at higher levels than I've ever felt before. And just a few drinks in and I would feel apathetic, frustrated, exhausted, cranky. And I was like, oh my God, this is not what I thought it was. And so basically at that point, I decided to take another break in February. And that's really kind of carried me to four years later. And every single day and month that went on after that, after that February has gotten better and better and better. Not only has my physical health improved incredibly, my self-esteem and my self-worth has gone up. And it also made this huge shift for me where I really got to know myself better. And I really started to feel a lot more confident about other things that were possible for me. It was like, if I could do this, what else could I do? It was this question. And I used to have this nine to five job and I used to feel kind of stuck in my life. And ever since then, I've been on this trajectory to go after my biggest goals, like leaving that job, becoming my, a certified coach, you know, becoming a six figure entrepreneur, writing a book and working with, you know, thousands of people all across the globe, making an impact, things that I never dreamed were possible for me. It all started because of that break from alcohol. Yeah, that, that, there's so much that you said <laughs> that I want to follow up on. And one of the things that I think I forgot to mention to you, when we were kind of doing like our pre-call thing is that my um, minor uh, from school is actually an addiction studies. So I definitely have um, a big personal interest in this. And that is one of the reasons why when we uh, got in touch uh, about possibly doing the podcast, that I was really excited to have you, especially since that you have um, this book that just came out. Um, but let's just back up just a little bit. So for people and obviously, you've probably read the same things that I have during this time of the pandemic, that alcohol sales are through the roof. Um, people are drinking more than ever to self-soothe, self-medicate. And a lot of people, you know, they might start having this sort of sense that you did about like, hey, I am kind of drinking more right now. I'm not feeling as well. Um, and they might start to have the same kinds of things, thoughts that you did, because I know that the only paradigm that has been promoted in the psychology world for such a long time is really the AA model. And that is like, as you said, sort of a model that is for, or what we think it's for is for people that are just literally, um, have that, you know, physical addiction, which, um, maybe you can go through and, sh uh, talk about some of the signs of true addiction and uh, the, the main thing that we always, and, and my, my other degree psychology, so they both go together. Right. Um, but the thing that we always focus on in psychology is, is it interfering with your daily function? And so, for some people, that's a difficult distinction because they have what's called like a functioning alcoholics. People have heard that term too. So this is all a long way of getting to a question for you. Um, just basically, can you talk a little bit about how people can start to identify if it's a problem for them? What are some of the signs? What are some of the things? You went over some of the wonderful things um, that you experienced when you quit. But can you also talk about maybe some of the challenges that you had while you were doing it, like social functions that you mentioned, for example, or, you know, any other things that come to mind? Yeah, I'm so glad you bring all this up because there is definitely a historical way of treating alcohol in our society. And it was grounded in this prohibitionist, like, this, so there's, there's history here, right? And so we <laughs> have this way of, of dividing people. There's problem drinkers and there's normal drinkers. Now, the only problem with that division is it absolutely bears no understanding on reality. And when we actually look at statistics of consumption levels, most people overdrink. 
literally the majority of people who drink alcohol on a regular basis over drink. So then it's kind of like you're playing a game. Okay, well, what's too much over drinking? We're all over drinking, <laughs> right? So what's too much? And wh at what point do you draw a line? And I think that line is really, really hard to draw because asking yourself if it's a, if it's a problem, well, compared to what? Compared to who? You know, like I'm not under a bridge like that bum, so maybe I'm okay, right? There's always going to be someone worse than you or not. And so what I love to ask my people who, you know, start working with me and other clients that come to me is, does this habit make you happy? And therefore, it doesn't matter how much you drink. You could have one daily glass of wine every single day, and yet you're feeling really lethargic and gross the next day. Or you could be drinking a lot, binge drinking or something like that. And then you could be asking yourself, is this habit making me happy? And so when it comes to uh, alcohol use disorder, which is the proper name now, right? We don't call it alcoholism anymore. And so that's, again, another thing that like the labels, the stigma, the judgment, there's just so much into it. Alcohol use disorder actually has uh, a varying spectrums of, of diagnoses, right? So you can have mild, moderate, or severe. And so when we think of severe alcohol use disorder, that's what we think of the stereotypes, right? The person who's literally drinking a handle of vodka every single day. But mild is actually, the criteria for mild is pretty low. So you would think of the majority of drinkers who overdrink. Uh, that's literally around 60% of normal drinkers abuse alcohol. If you've been around my content for a while, you know that one of my favorite things is making and eating gourmet food and pairing it with wine. You might think you can't enjoy wine, though, while trying to lose weight or stay in ketosis. And if you're drinking traditional wine, you might be right. So many wines are mass-produced and full of sugar and other garbage additives that can wreak havoc on your health goals and just make you feel bad. Fortunately, I discovered Dry Farm Wines. I've been drinking their wine for years now, and I love this company. They individually test small batch wines produced by vintners that are committed to the practice of dry farm production. Some of my favorites have been the Blaufrankisch variety from Austria and all of the wines from the Loire Valley in France. Dry farm wines are free from excess sulfites and mold that can cause adverse reactions and hangovers. With no added sugar, each wine is tested to be under one gram of sugar in the entire bottle. Yep, you just heard that right. There's less than one carb in the whole bottle of wine. They're also slightly lower alcohol, which means you can enjoy a delicious wine pairing at dinner any given night and not end up with a hangover. You can receive an extra bottle for just a penny with your first order by visiting dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. I'd love to hear what your favorite wine is after you try it and be sure to tag me on social with pictures of your wine and delicious dinners. Again, that bottle of wine for a penny is at dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. Hello again, this isn't the small minority of people. This is so many people this happens to. Like you said, alcohol sales just went up. And what we don't understand too, is we literally live in a society that glorifies alcohol. I didn't have a chance to choose whether or not consciously I wanted this habit in my life. My 18 year old version chose because she wanted to fit in. It is conditioned on us. We see the sex in the city and the scandal and so much of this glamorization of alcohol in our society that it literally becomes a habit for most people who, who you know, adopt that. So I really think it's this questioning of this, this intuitive asking of really getting to know yourself and being like, is this serving? Maybe it served me when I was in college, but is it serving who I want to become, right? And so, the, again, this kind of changes that, that traditional question on its head of whether or not it's interfering in your life. The thing we don't understand is alcohol has negative effects on anybody who drinks it because scientifically, it does certain things to our brain chemistry, to our bodies. Uh, and so you're not crazy if you feel those negative effects. If you feel more tired the next day or if you're feeling a little bit more lower, alcohol actually lowers 
your levels of happiness neurotransmitters in your brains, and it heightens up the stress hormones in your brains. Any kind of drinking will do that to you. So you're, again, you're not crazy for feeling those effects. So I'd love to just normalize this conversation to say that, you know, there's not just a certain type of person who's going to feel this. You know, if you're really being conscious about the role that alcohol plays in your life, you could feel it at any stage. Now, however, obviously there are different varying degrees of dependence on alcohol. I think as a society, we all have the emotional dependence, right? Because we've come to believe that alcohol gives us relaxation or it helps us sleep or maybe it makes us more social or it makes us more confident or it's the only way to unwind on a vacation, right? There's some little bit of needs that we think that are being met through alcohol in, in any format that we're drinking. But then it gets deeper than that, obviously, right? It could be really fulfilling a need of self-worth or just really feeling a very low depressive state. And alcohol is really becoming a crutch emotionally. And deeper and deeper and deeper that it obviously can start to come, become a physical addiction. Now, physical addiction is so hard to, to be able to diagnose. And if anyone thinks you have one, you know, please see a medical professional. Um, but they've actually found that only 10% of heavy drinkers have a physical addiction. So even that is this murky thing of like, well, when... When is it bad enough, right? So I guess like I, I love to present is, is it good enough? You know, and in any format that alcohol is in your life to just ask yourself that question. That doesn't mean everyone has to go abstinent or not drink, but it's just this more conscious aware of asking yourself, is this habit really serving me? And is it really helping me become the person I want to be? And you don't have to make a decision out off the bat. What I love to help people with is just trying a break from alcohol. That way they can kind of compare what their body and their mental state feels like without this toxin in their life compared to what it feels like with it. And then they get to decide which version of themselves they like better. So personally, until I gave myself that experiment, I had no idea and I had complete misconceptions around it, right? I thought I'd be deprived, stigmatized, labeled, all these things. I found out the opposite when I, when I tried it, right? I had an incredible time. And I had to slowly start to recognize that my well-being mattered to me more than fitting in. And that my self-love mattered more to me than what I thought other people would think about me as well. And so socializing at first was, you know, the challenge, the, basically the reason why I didn't make the change a long time ago. But as I started to get out there, one, I started learning that, you know, around 52% of Americans want to drink less or not at all. So when I went out there, I actually started recognizing maybe other people who are drinking actually are looking up to me in this moment and are not judging me the way I think they are. And so I started to get really confident about being alcohol-free. I started to feel more like a rebel and like a leader instead of someone who's the odd one out. And so that really helped shape my ability to socialize. I can go totally deeper because I'm totally an introvert. I was really shy growing up. So I also had to learn how to find confidence within myself. But I can tell you 100%, Cheryl, that as long as I outsourced my confidence to alcohol, I was actually lowering my confidence over time because I was never building it within. And I was constantly looking for a drink to be that kind of a crutch. So it's like this game of practicing something that I'd never practiced before, but I ultimately got better at it because I put myself out there and I did it. Yeah, I, I love this conversation so much because one of the other things that you said, I can totally tell that you're into yoga as well, because um, in yoga, we talk a lot about, you know, whether things are serving you or not, and particularly habits. And, you know, I work with people on habits a lot and the thing is that a couple of the things that you mentioned about, you know, making that shift, I think first it's a mental shift, but then another thing that I like to, um, 
talk to people a lot about and help them with when they're making these big habit changes. And I would just love to get your input and further advice in the arena of alcohol for this. But um, for example, my husband and I did do dry January. We've done it a few times, but um, we uh, went to an engagement party. And actually it was funny for the longest time, I had this idea. I was actually, actually it was, it wasn't dry January that year it was sobriety September. <laughs> and so we did it in September and we had an engagement party to go to and we went and we did not drink and we had a lovely time, but it was so interesting how many questions we got about like, well, you guys are drinking or you pregnant. Of course, if you're pregnant is always the first one. Right. And, um, it was just, it was just very interesting. It was also very interesting to observe people in that setting um, being totally sober, because as you said, most of us have been conditioned or it's just when we go to an event, we have a couple drinks, maybe it's one, maybe it's five, you know, it depends on the person. Um, but that's all pretty kind of normalized as you pointed out. The thing that I noticed when we have done dry January and that sobriety September is that I think that the alcohol, you know, you mentioned that it gives you relaxation or whatever. To me, it's almost more the ritual of wine or alcohol that gives me relaxation. So my observation was in that month that we, in those months that we did those things where we didn't have any alcohol, that the replacement behavior was, I got out a nice big wine glass. I put like berries and, and uh, sparkling water and just still made it kind of an event. And we'd still like sit down and talk about our day or whatever it was. And I would say you get 90% of the relaxation um, in the ritual of it as you do in the actual beverage or the actual alcohol. So all that being said, are there other things that you have discovered along the way in your work and maybe with other people um, telling you what has helped them? What are some kind of replacement behaviors um, that people can utilize on their way to you know, even if they're not giving it up, maybe moderating, moderating their use more or only having it special occasions, um, just reducing, as you said, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, but it is like noticing what is actually serving you or not, and then moving from there. So any tips or tricks or things that you've learned? <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad that you bring that up because it's such a, it's a, such a mind trick, right? We literally believe fundamentally in our core that alcohol relaxes us. And actually scientifically, that's not true. Alcohol after it, it gives you this buzz sensation and kind of numbs your, your neurocentral, your nervous system, it actually, our bodies counteract that depressant by releasing stress hormones. And we release cortisol, adrenaline, and dynorphin in response to alcohol. Dynorphin is kind of like the opposite of endorphins. It makes you feel pretty low and crappy and emotionally kind of low. Um, and so that physically might happen if a little after, maybe an hour after alcohol, or, you know, you might go to sleep so you don't notice it, but maybe you'll wake up in the middle of the night, then you'll notice it. Or the next day you might have more anxiety. We have a term for it now, anxiety, right? Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. We'd also love it if you could post a review on iTunes. It helps us so much by allowing others to more easily find us. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast wouldn't be possible without listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. So physically, like they've actually been able to tie anxiety and alcohol on a molecular level, right? So physiologically, it really does not relax us. But then why do we have this belief in, in our culture so much? So something you bring up is really, really key in that they've actually done this study where a bunch of people sat down at a restaurant and ordered a glass of wine or a drink or whatever. And scientists put these little brain nodes on their brains to be able to capture their brain waves. 
And they found that as soon as someone ordered a drink, all of a sudden they relaxed. Their brain waves got longer and slower. But the <laughs> irony here is that it was before they actually drank the drink, right? So it was the anticipation of the drink that relaxed them. I think rituals are a huge part of how humans decompress and socialize and find meaning and bonding with each other. So the ritual is often a bigger thing than the actual chemical composition of the drink itself. Mm -hmm. And so habit change experts always say, don't try to willpower your way out of habits, replace the habit, replace the habit that will give you a similar reward. And you mentioned something that's literally the easiest thing you could do. You don't have to stop drinking. You don't have to uh, never have a glass of something in your hand when you're socializing. You can still decompress with a drink after the long day. Just change the drink. Change what type of drink it is. And these days, there's literally thousands of alcohol-free beverages on the market. It is an industry that is exploding. There's drinks with adaptogens in them and nootropics and reishi mushrooms. I mean, even just a health tonic, even just a health, you know, go to Whole Foods, see what they have there. You'll find a zillion drinks that don't have alcohol in them. And you can still have a really nice glass and pour it and, and have that hour because it's like, it's more of the signal to your brain that it's, you have permission to relax than the, the drink itself. And something to note too, is obviously outside of uh, just, you know, having a mocktail or some other format of a drink, there's other rituals that you could do. So for example, something I love to do that's really soothing for me is to watch the sunset. So to actually get outside, maybe go on a walk and really watch the world's magic like melt before me in my eyes. It kind of grounds me quickly. It makes my petty daily worries just seem to not matter in that moment. It's just the beauty of the universe. You know, so getting outside, going on a walk, uh, yin yoga, I love too. you know, stretching kind of releases so many things and so many good uh, neurotransmitters to make us feel better. Yin yoga is really great. A lot of my clients also love water therapy. So even in the moment when you're like really craving something, like go take a shower, you know, like a, a hot shower or a hot bath. And they'll find like one, you completely remove yourself out of the environment in which you would have drank. You know, usually you're probably not drinking in the shower. Um, but also <laughs> then too, you get this really soothing hot water blanket because a lot of times I think when we drink, there's so many different ways and reasons why. But a lot of times when you're coming home, it's a normal day. You know, you, you just stressed out. You want to drink to relax. It's really this need for comfort that we're looking for, right? And so how many other ways could you give yourself that need without something that has the negative side effects the next day? So there's just a lot of exploring to do, I think, when you when you go on this journey yourself to find what start really working for you. And it's not about taking away your treat at all, right? Because often alcohol is seen as like, oh, the one thing I can look forward to at the end of the day or something that just feels special. It's not about taking it away. It's about finding something that actually works better. And something to be said too about that anticipation in our brain and the way that the dopamine works is that yes, alcohol will have this huge spike of dopamine in your brain from that anticipation. And they've actually found, the studies have found that it's really similar to other drugs like cocaine or heroin. The spike is really, really high and then it crashes. So your dopamine levels are then lower afterwards than before you had the drink, right? And this, this takes a, a little bit of while. That's why you get the big buzz at first and then you kind of feel kind of weird afterwards, right? Maybe 30 minutes later, 40 minutes later. Um, and what they've actually found is that because of that big, huge spike of dopamine, it actually desensitizes us to naturally occurring dopamine. And what do I mean by that, right? I mean more like a walk in the woods, playing with a child, a belly laugh, you know? All these things start to not register as high because they don't give that high spike of dopamine. So we actually get desensitized to them. And our dopamine retractors actually, like our dopamine receptors, sorry, actually retract over all those big spikes of dopamine. So what that tells me is that 
our threshold from feeling happiness in other areas of our lives starts to diminish. And I think that's where we get the, you know, more clinical uh, explanation of how, you know, other things maybe don't make that person happy anymore and they only want to drink. It's literally science, right? Like you could, you could put any human in an experiment and give them that amount of alcohol, you know, repeated exposure of times. And that's what will also happen to their brain as well. And so for me, it's also a matter of then knowing that and finding, okay, what really gives me pleasure then? What really makes me happy? What really gives me joy? And when I first went alcohol free, I was on a kind of like a rampage to find new things. I, I did hobbies that I hadn't done in a long time before. I tried new classes, whether they're workout classes or just going to the symphony or to, you know, the botanical gardens. I really started kind of getting out of my little comfort zone of just having a drink at the end of the day to find all these other ways to give myself pleasure that were so much more sustainable, so much more long-term, so much more filled with that long-term contentment instead of that immediate gratification that comes in a glass. Um, so obviously there's a lot of experimenting to do to find what works for you, but just I think understanding the science about alcohol can help even break that illusion that, you know, it's the only thing that relaxes me at the end of the day. Like that's just not true. And even with the placebo effect, you might find that a mocktail does the trick, you know, and doesn't then come with that disrupted sleep or, you know, I mean, if you, you know, you have a few drinks and then you don't want to work out, you don't want to eat well, like it's just this domino that makes it harder to do any other healthy things. Whereas you sit down and have the mocktail and then you're like, okay, now I can do something else. You know, you still have all your energy. You still have all your, your motivation within you. You didn't lose it all through the, the alcohol kind of distorting your brain. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought the neuropsychology and the physiology part of the dopamine up because that is something we actually see in other things as well, obviously other addiction processes, um, but in sugar too, um, sugar stimulates dopamine. And so and there does have this tendency for people, um, again, they can be anywhere on this spectrum, as you mentioned, where they're kind of like just a casual uh, drinker all the way up to somebody who really starts to have and it has, impacts their life negatively. Um, but, you know, people still have to eat. They can't like stop eating. So it's always interesting to me um, when people do a lower carb lifestyle, cut out the sugar, you know, it kind of rebalances not only their body, but their brain because they get away from those big dopamine hits and they do start to just feel like generally happier. Um, so it's, I think it's just important for people to realize it's, it's not just alcohol that does that to you. It's other things as well. So it could be in a positive way. <clears throat> generally, if you get it from a more natural source, like exercise, or the sunset. I love that example. If you get it from a more natural, it's, it's like, say it's at a level hundred. Whereas when you have these artificial sources like sugar or cocaine or, um, drinking or whatever, then you go up to like 300 and it's just not the way that your physiology is meant to do. And so I think, like you said, over time, it desensitizes people and that's unfortunately very sad. Um, so actually in relation to what you were saying about, it makes it harder to do other healthier behaviors. So we talked about yoga, we talked about meditation, we talked about some of these other healthier behaviors. Um, one of the things I'm kind of curious about and the people that you've worked with, um, alcohol has a lot of calories and it also lowers inhibitions. And so a lot of the people that I work with are interested in changing their nutrition or losing weight uh, is a big one. And so alcohol can negatively impact that. It also turns off fat burning for the amount of time that your liver has to process the alcohol. Um, so I'm just curious if any of the people that you worked with have experienced like sudden weight loss or just other positive effects just from doing something simple, like cutting back on their alcohol. 
You know how I like to talk about being just 1% better every day? Well, ButcherBox believes in better. For them, better means caring about animals and the planet, treating the planet with respect, and it means improving the lives of animals and the livelihoods of farmers. Their beef is grass-fed and grass-finished, chicken is free-range and organic, turkey is free-range, pork is humanely raised, and salmon and scallops are wild-caught. I've been using ButcherBox for a couple of years now, and it was a godsend having such high-quality meat delivered to my door during the pandemic. If you're interested in saving money and eating healthier, this is the perfect service for you. Even if you can get back to the grocery store now, the quality and health of ButcherBox meat is far superior to what's in the market. Plus, if you're a bacon lover, I have really good news. You can always get a great deal on your subscription by using my link, but starting June 12th until October 14th, new members can get free bacon for life. That's right. Every box will include a pack of uncured, unbelievably delicious bacon added to every box for the life of your membership. Check my show notes for the link or go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash H-N-G butcher box. Yeah, such a good question. And I think it's like, it's one of those domino effects. It's called uh, Charles Duhigg of, of the power of habit calls a keystone habit where you change this one foundational thing and it kind of has an effect on so many other areas of your life in really positive ways. I mean, so first it's just the like the common sense way, you know, like I wake up, I drank a few too many last night. I have absolutely like no stamina. I don't even want to face the day. I just phone it in. Maybe I get takeout or fast food and then I plop on the couch and watch TV later. You know, it's just like a wash of a day. I just don't have that motivation to even try. You know what I mean? And then think of the opposite. I wake up feeling amazing. You know, my sleep was really great. I'm, I'm starting to get a lot more energy because the alcohol is detoxified from my system and I'm just like feeling those positive emotions more. You know, what am I more apt to do? Do I want to eat healthier? Do I crave naturally like healthier foods? Do I feel, you know, have the energy to maybe go on a workout, right? So there's just even the common sense explanation. But also alcohol is so sinister when it comes to weight gain. And I think that common knowledge doesn't really, you know, explain it enough for us. And I'm just so glad that you have even a deeper understanding of it. Because yes, calories for sure. I mean, like you're drinking one, two, three extra drinks a day or a week or whatever it is. It's all adding up, right? It's those extra calories, but it's even more sinister than that. Alcohol really affects our metabolism. Uh, it slows it down. So they've even proven that one to two drinks will slow down your metabolism for three hours. And alcohol is a uh, an energy source or whatever nutrient, however you call it, that compared to carbs, protein, and fat, it has to be burned first. Now you might think this is a good thing, right? Like, yeah, I'm burning off all that alcohol. But what it means also is that alcohol takes precedence and then you're not necessarily burning the, the food you ate, right? So all of that can stuff gets stored. So alcohol really slows our metabolism down. They've proven that increases appetite. It even increases the signal that you're, uh, it decreases, sorry, decreases the signal that you're full. So like you don't register that you're full in time. It also slows down protein synthesis. So your muscles don't grow and it just makes it so much harder, harder to be fit or to, you know, even work it off. Personally, when I went to college, I was a ballet dancer. So I was a pretty svelte person. You know, I, I exercised, I worked out, I was pretty healthy. And I started drinking in college and I, by the end of college, gained like 35 pounds on top of my frame. And I was like, why? I didn't understand why. I was like, I guess this is what it happens when you get older. I just had no idea. <laughs> and then I struggled with that, that weight, that extra weight for a whole decade until really I, you know, I 
did so many workouts. I did so many diets. I tried all the different things, but when I went alcohol free, it was almost effortless. I wasn't even concerned with my weight and it just got so much easier. So many people find that they lose weight between three to six months. So it's not like this magic wand where even just a month of alcohol and all of a sudden your body will shed all these pounds. But body changes do happen. Um, even if you don't lose weight, you might be able to change your body composition. Like it starts gaining more muscle instead of fat. And some people even find too that maybe they don't lose weight um, and they eat more. And in an in instance, just so someone knows what's going on, is to, to be able to handle all those calories from alcohol, you might have been eating way too less to begin with, right? So you take the alcohol out and all of a sudden you're hungry or you want to eat more. That's perfectly normal and natural. And it might just be time to revisit. Like I need to actually eat more healthy stuff during my meals instead of these like little, you know, bird-like <laughs> portions I was giving myself. Um, sugar cravings are also really real and uh, are, are definitely just a rite of passage that happens when you remove alcohol. Because like you said, not only does sugar also give you that dopamine spike, but alcohol is literally made out of fermented sugar, right? So even if like we think we're being super healthy, that is how ethanol is made. It's the fermented sugar in a grape or in a, you know, in a potato or in molasses or whatever it is. So our body is like missing it. And so, uh, you know, if you're trying to get healthier as you remove alcohol, I always say like focus on one thing first. It is the domino habit. It is a keystone habit. Just removing that will allow all these other healthier behaviors to come forward, but it might take a while, right? Maybe you want to focus on alcohol first for the first month and kind of let yourself be a little bit else with other changes in your life, you know? So it's not just this like weight loss plan, but then as you get ease into it and really start to find a footing and a foundation in that, then the next habit, right, can get looked at. Or maybe you add on a little bit more movement into your life or something like that. And so I never like to make it seem like the alcohol-free lifestyle is like a diet plan, right? And that you're just going to miraculously lose all the, this weight. But it can sometimes be really um, frustrating to to do everything right and then not to see a difference with alcohol still as a habit in your life. Because it just, it, it affects our bodies in ways that uh, we don't even know the depths of. It, it really does change the way that you metabolize food, your appetite, all this stuff. And so it's almost like uh, you do all the right things and you still don't see the changes. And most diet plans don't even talk about alcohol. It's always like, yeah, you, that's a freebie. Go for it. It doesn't make a big difference, but it kind of does. So it's just great to have all the information at your fingertips. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> excuse me, something that I've written about in the past, just because I, again, have a personal interest in both the weight loss side and the um, addiction side. And I would say for most people, if they're, if they've got a lot of weight to lose and they're very serious about it, at the very least, really reducing or restricting alcohol, much like you would restrict certain foods or the amount of food that you eat if you want to lose weight, that can be really important and really useful. And for some people, if you're drinking a lot, a really easy way to automatically cut a whole bunch of calories out of your diet, um, to your point, with something that is not really serving you nutritionally at all. Um, it uses for other purposes, like we already talked about. Um, I guess the final thing before we talk about some of the projects that you've um, had come up recently is what would you say to someone? What advice would you give them? Like they think they're drinking a little too much. They're not, let's say like not a alcohol use heavy. Um, I'm just going to say alcoholic because everybody understands that. <laughs> we want to use the cycle, the DSM. <laughs> right. Um, they wouldn't be what somebody's considered an alcoholic, but they're drinking more than they'd like. It enters their mind that maybe they, they should reduce it, but they're worried and they don't want to go like they're thinking, oh, I could never have an alcohol free life. Maybe I just like 
like reduce it? What would your advice to that person be? How would you get them started in the realm of exploring what life might look like without alcohol? That's such a great question. And I just want to say that the majority of drinkers are in that boat. Right. So like, <laughs> right. but when you start feeling like that, you, you start to think like something's wrong with me. Like maybe I'm not doing this right. Why can't I figure out this balance thing? You know what I mean? You start to like really assign yourself a lot of blame and shame and it really becomes so hard to deal with because nobody talks about this. And so I just want to say like once and for all, this is happening to the majority of drinkers out there. Please like take off all that shame and blame and just then become curious about it instead of assigning any shame to yourself about, you know, drinking more. Like you said, in the pandemic, it got way worse. Like this is happening across the board to so many people. And so get curious about it. So I have two recommendations then. The first would be literally to lean in and to learn more about it. And how could you do that? So there is this, this thing that we call, you know, the alcohol-free mindset, or basically the mindset of someone who doesn't believe that alcohol is requisite for a fun and fulfilling life. And that mindset had to be cultivated because we did not grow up in that mindset. We grew up in the idea that we have to drink to fit in and we have to drink on vacation and we have to drink at dinner and we have to know all the wines to be sophisticated and all this stuff, right? So it's almost like you're kind of unlearning different things, right? And so how do you dive into the mindset? How do you just learn about making sense of the role of alcohol in your life? You know, a lot of times it's not even necessarily like a huge red flag, like you're saying, but maybe you're a parent. And maybe you're starting to ask yourself, is drinking in front of my kids really, you know, something I want to be doing very often? Or maybe they're becoming teenagers and you're like, oh, I want to be able to talk about them this with them. But I have to really kind of make sense of the role of alcohol first for myself before I'm able to have a, a really good conversation with them. That's not just like, don't drink. Right. So there's so many reasons why someone would arrive to want to lean into this. And I think it's really the wisest people and the most intuitive people who want to make sense of the role of alcohol in their life. And not just accept it as a habit or a status quo behavior that we all humans have to do. So great. You know that. Now lean in. And how do you do that? It's really easy. Buy a book. Read a book about it, right? Listen to a podcast about Perfect it. Perfect segue. Perfect segue. <laughs> Why don't you just talk about the book a little bit now? <laughs> moving into like, you know, more information about this topic and knowing that it doesn't mark you as someone who has a problem or has some kind of defect or is lacking in self-control. It's actually like an astute thing to do to become analytical and have some more awareness around it. So by reading a book or listening to podcasts, you, you start to slowly shift your mindset away from that, you know, original one where you think everybody drinks and that's just the norm versus like really having the courage to rethink it. And then the second thing I would suggest is that once you've already done a little bit of that and you feel ready for it to take a break, because taking a break is not quitting forever. It's not saying you're not ever going to drink again. It's honestly just allowing your body to rebalance and to clear away the alcohol in your life so that you can actually feel your natural state, your natural brain state, your natural mental energy, your natural uh, vitality in your body. And you might be really surprised at what you find, right? And so a month off is great. A hundred days will change your life. But even three days, you know, just starting to build the muscle of what it looks like to not drink less than you did really, really great. And so once you get to that point where you take a break and say you have all this data you collected about how your body feels, then you get to make a decision on how to move forward. And so back to the book. So my book is called Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol, I'm Going to Happier, More Confident You. And it's really written for that casual drinker, that person who doesn't identify with a severe problem, but really wants to make sense of the role of alcohol in their life. And the first part of the book is really talks about how many benefits you'll receive from your body, your mind, and your soul. 
So it goes deep into all the health benefits, then all of the mindset ones where you really rediscover more self-love for yourself, more self-esteem, more confidence, more pride, and then deeper into the really soulful things that we want most in our life, presence, connection, gratitude, appreciation, you know, and the hope that really we can do whatever we want in our lifetimes. And so as a reader is going through all of these benefits, they're literally getting so excited about what an alcohol-free break could do for them. And so then I don't just leave them hanging. The last part of the book is actually an eight-week guide to take a break from alcohol and really change your mindset around how you view alcohol and start learning how to take, your, take care of your needs, your emotional, spiritual, intellectual needs in new healthy ways. So you really build this beautiful foundation. You learn how to deal with the hangups like socializing or what to say when someone asks you about it or, you know, even what to do on a Friday night. And then afterwards, towards the end of the book, it starts kind of switching its tone and really asking yourself, what makes me happy? Like, what do I want most in the world? It's not a glass of wine. So what is it? Right. And it really almost is like that switch where you take something that was giving you that immediate gratification and you get hungry to discover what is truly going to give you that long term contentment. So it has different exercises to help you determine, you know, maybe I wish I was writing more. Maybe I wish I was painting again. Maybe I wish I was taking more classes or going to a yoga retreat and start by just leaning into your interests and your passions and, you know, what, what really brings you light to give you a path forward to really find that fulfillment and that sense of purpose that is so much bigger than a fermented beverage. And that's really gets to be the, be the point. I could care less what people drink at the end of the day. This is not about alcohol, right? This is about taking something out that is no longer serving you and giving yourself this beautiful space where you replace it with something that gives you so much more passion, meaning, and aliveness in your life. And the thing is, is that my story, you know, where I completely changed my careers, I wrote a book, I, you know, start traveling the world, I start helping people all over, giving me a real deep sense of impact and contribution. My story is not an anomaly. Most of my clients and women I've heard of and worked with have very similar stories where they remove the alcohol and all of a sudden they get the confidence to launch a business. They get the confidence to write a book. They start a movement in their community. One of my clients literally quit her corporate job and moved to Europe because she always wanted to live in France for a year. She's having the adventure of a lifetime and now she's going to write a memoir about it. And she literally credits taking a break from alcohol as giving her that confidence to, to go after that goal. So it sounds crazy. Like how could just removing this one, you know, diet food group thing actually make so many changes in your life. But, uh, you know, it really shows you that as you go on this journey, alcohol numbs, it just numbs our emotions and it numbs our thoughts. So when you remove it, you also get to know yourself so much better. You get to hear nudges from your intuition about what you really care about, what really matters for you. And you start to have the energy and the action and motivation to actually cultivate that in your life. So it's no longer something that you're using alcohol to escape from a life that isn't serving you. You're actually making shifts to design the kind of life that you love. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you mentioned the book. I assume it's available everywhere books are sold. But can you tell everyone, are you active on social media? What's your website? If they want to work with you personally, how they might do that? Just all the things about how to get in touch with Carolina. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. So if you want a quick way to find the book, you can just go to www.euphoricbook.com or you can search just the word euphoric and Amazon. You'll find it right away anywhere books are sold, obviously, as well. Um, if you're interested in working with me, taking one of my programs, uh, just listening to my podcast as well, you can find all of that at euphoricaf.com. And then I'm also pretty active on Instagram where you can find me at euphoric.af. I love the .af. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> that's passionate, right? <laughs> well, anyway, um, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and uh, so many tips with the audience. Any final things that we haven't touched on that you just want to wrap it all up in a big bow with? Of course. Thank you so much. You're such an amazing host. And I love the uh, just the, the emotional, intelligent questions that you have about this topic because it's just so untalked about in our society. And that drives me nuts because then it makes people feel so alone. So if this conversation intrigued you a little bit, if it, if it really got you thinking about your relationship with alcohol, I encourage you to just lean in. You don't have to make any choices, any grand declarations, anything like that. <laughs> but if you're just a little interested or your intuitions may be telling you, wow, maybe you would have more energy without, you know, this, this habit, lean in, right? Get the book, uh, take a break. Maybe if that's your next step and just be very experimental about it, be curious about it, right? It's not again about these black and white choices, but oftentimes, like you said earlier, we start drinking when we're teenagers, right? And then we keep up the habit our whole lives. And the only excuse we ever have to take a break is when we're pregnant. And that's crazy fast <laughs> to me, right? Because then we never really know what it feels like to live a happy, healthy adult life without this substance in your life. And so, but just by taking a break, just by experimenting with the alcohol-free lifestyle, you might discover so much about yourself, what you really want, and really how you feel best in your own body. Um, so just don't be scared of it. Lean in and, and anywhere you start is good enough. You know, if today's just one day you don't drink and you drink tomorrow, that's great because you're building this muscle that's making yourself not as reliant on alcohol every day. Such a great point and a great way to start. I always say start small when I'm working with people in habits. So again, Carolina, thank you so much. I've loved having you and um, everyone be sure to check the show notes so you can go find her, find the book, and um, hopefully we'll chat with you again in the future. Stay in touch. Thank you so much. This has been the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Again, I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. You can find show notes for this episode at healnourishgrowpodcast.com. If you have feedback on today's episode or questions about the content, please email us at podcast at healnourishgrow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to sign up for our email list at healnourishgrow.com and subscribe to the show with your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. Join us next time for more information that helps you live your best and healthiest life. Thanks for listening. Content on the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast does not constitute medical advice. Content contained in the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. Neither the company nor its owner, Heal, Nourish, Grow, LLC, nor any of the company's employees, agents, or guest speakers provide medical advice. The content provided on Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your medical provider with any questions about what health practices are right for you.